Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life, if times get tough or even if they don't. Today is Tuesday, January the 3rd, 2017, and this is episode 1923 of the Survival Podcast. And it is a Just Jack show because it's a Tuesday. On Tuesdays, you usually get me and the microphone and nothing more, and that's what we've got today. Have you ever had one of those days where you could just use a drink? Maybe not a whole lot, but just a drink. Have you ever thought, well, I could have a beer or a scotch and soda or something like that, but I'd like to have something that's just, well, refreshing and a drink. Well, that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about making your own liqueurs today, homemade liqueurs, and more. Because I'm also going to talk about making your own liqueur. And I'm going to tell you what the difference between liqueur and liquor is, which you probably already know, but let's just say... Making your own liquor might be taking some neutral grain alcohol and making whiskey out of it, and liqueur might be making something like a blackberry schnapps or something like that, just to kind of give you a prelude. And we're going to be talking about that, and the cool thing is today that I'm going to tell you how to do this stuff. I'm going to give you a great resource that's already been put out for the T-SPAS item of the day for a book uh, to do it. But you're not going to have to go out and buy a bunch of stuff. It's not going to be like when I talk about making beer and I'm like, well, you need a wort chiller and you need a fermentation vessel and you need an airlock. Most likely, almost everything you need other than the ingredients, and they might be, is already in your kitchen and your pantry. So this is something that anybody can do, and it makes some really cool stuff. We'll talk about all that and more in just a bit. Before we do, let's go ahead and take care of our two sponsors of the day. You know, guys, I've been telling you about how Safe Castle Royal has everything for your prepping needs for over seven years now. Everything's a big word, but in this case, it's true. Of course, they have long-term storage food, water purification equipment, shelters, solar and wind components, and more. But hey, did you know they even have an amazing fold-down, bug-out bicycle? Yeah, they actually have two of those. For everything you could ever need as a prepper, and I do mean everything, check out safecastle.com today. Hey guys, if you're like me, you want the best quality water for yourself and your family, this is why I've used a Berkey water filter for over six years in my own home. But if you're going to get a Berkey, or parts for one you already have, you should deal with the best. And that's Jeff, the Berkey guy, Gleason. There's only one official Berkey guy, and you can only find him at his website at directive21.com. Again, directive, the number is 21 and a dot com. And our TSP Business Directory supporter of the day is Matthew Gleason. He's an MSB member and longtime listener who operates as a realtor in Northwest Nevada. As an audience member, Matthew will not only look at you like you're a space will not look at you like you're a space alien if you say things like permaculture or walking to freedom while you're searching for a home listing. Check him out in the TSP Business Directory at tspbiz.com. Next up, let's take a look at the year that was the episode. The year is 1923. Because the episode is 1923, I have two for you today. I have crafting a eugenics law that works. And I have a Nazi coup fails, Hitler's struggle begins. I also have notable births this year. Chuck Yeager, who is alive. Alex has started noting who is alive living. First to break the sound barrier. Alan Shepard is born this year. Mercury astronaut, first American in space. Straight up and straight down. Stephanie Kolick, uh, inventor of the Kevlar. Not the Kevlar. Inventor of Kevlar itself, not the Kevlar helmet. Army days creeping back into my head there. Uh, and in entertainment, uh, Charlton Heston, actor and NRA president, is born this year. Don Adams from Get Smart. Ed McMahon of The Tonight Show. Bob Barker, 
Price is right. Also still living. Uh, living means they were alive last I checked in 2017, January the 3rd, and that would be today. In other news, television is patented and comes with sound and brings sound to film. The sound for film stinks, but it's a start. You know, a lot's going to change in Hollywood. I just watched a little documentary called Secrets of the Museum or something like that. It was this contraption, like a torture device. And what it was was for measuring faces. And Max Factor, is if Max Factor makeup built it, And back during black and white film, if you saw an actress in makeup, it looked ridiculous. It looked like a clown. It was all these weird, like, shadows and, you know, like, Indian looking under their eyes and stuff. <clears throat> and it was because it never showed up on the film because film was black and white and it created shadows and the appearance of raised high cheekbones and stuff like that. And he had built this machine to, uh, To, 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 to be able to ter determine exactly how to paint a woman to make her look her face look perfectly symmetrical. And it was never really used because then color came to film in the 30s, I guess it was. And initially, the actresses of the silver screen said they would never appear in color because they knew that the jig was up. Just a little extra right there. Disney cartoon, Time Magazine, and Warner Brothers are all founded. Disney and Time Warner, Nuff said... Nobel Prize is awarded for insulin therapy. The Toronto team's technique will save millions of lives, mostly children. So if you're a diabetic, you have back to this year, 1923, to be thankful for. Um, <clears throat> this is a tough one because we need to start looking at what's going on in Germany. But I've also said we need to continue to understand the concept of eugenics as we move into this time period. Or we're not going to really understand how did this happen. Because that's what everybody says about World War II, the Nazi Germany, the Holocaust. How could this have ever happened? Well, the answer starts here in America. So I'm going to read Crafting a Eugenics Law That Works. A race riot is not an adequate description for the recent activities of the Ku Klux Klan. The outright destruction of the town of Rosewood, Florida, has taken place this year. Parts of Oklahoma are now under martial law. 30 New York policemen are um, revealed to be Ku Klux Klan members. Bad as the old KKK was... <clears throat> Uh, the new KKK is much worse, and the eugenics movement has helped their membership numbers soar to an all-time high of 2.5 million. Scientists seem to support the idea of killing off non-whites to eliminate germplasm infecting the white race. I'm sick of these bigots, but I'm doing my best to represent them fairly. Germplasm is what we would call defective genes, but they know F all about that. Despite the best efforts of scientists, they cannot convince lawmakers to kill off the defectives. Instead, so-called imbeciles, morons, and I don't even know what that, epileptics, I guess it's epileptics, uh, which I do know, are segregated from the population until beyond childbearing age. This is not exactly prison. It's more like a chump, crummy hospital that you can't leave without permission. Will they give you permission? Yeah, usually to see a movie, but come right back. The system has become expensive, so Virginia is carefully crafting their first sterilization law that will stand the test of the Supreme Court. Virginia's Racial Integrity Act will need a proper test case to make it stick. They will find her next year. Her name is Carrie Buck. My take by Alex Shrugged. I look at these times and think no wonder so many people think our founding fathers were horrible people. They look at the boneheads from the 1920s and think the people who came before them must have been much, much worse. This is a philosophy of optimism which says each generation builds on the previous one and gets better and better. That also means that each generation going back was worse and worse. This is not true. 
It's more like cycles of up and down, back and forth. There are improvements as we go along, but there are times when we get worse, much worse. I want to believe that my children have learned from my mistakes so they need not repeat them, and they never do. They find ingenious ways to make new mistakes all their own, and I can't stop them. They give me uh, uh, that tolerant look that youth gives people over 40. I once knew, uh, <clears throat> I'm sorry, they give me that tolerant look that youth gives to people over 40. I once knew as much as they know now. Now I'm older and wiser and not as smart as I thought I was. Indeed. Yeah, there's so much that goes on through the 1920s here in the United States, and it is absolutely reprehensible. And it is this that the medical establishment in Germany will build on, and it will lead straight as an arrow to the Holocaust. It will. It won't be the only thing, but it will be a big part of it, and it will be used as justification to get the ball rolling. And in this case, the ball is a boulder, and it's rolling down a hill. And we know that once it rolls a certain amount down a hill, it's just going to keep going until a thundering smash at the bottom. And that's what's waiting ahead for us in the 1940s. My thoughts by Jack Spear. With that, let's get into better things. Let's talk about drinking. Now, I want to say straight out of the gate here that uh, I'm going to start with what I'm going to conclude with. This stuff's not beer. It's not wine. It's not for having a couple, three drinks. This is sipping stuff, or it goes into a mixed drink. This stuff that we'll talk about making today could be anywhere between like 45 proof up to 100 proof or more. Your average you know, glass of whiskey is 80 proof. Or your average shot of whiskey is 80 proof, or anything whiskey is 80 Your average whiskey is 80 proof. And uh, unless you have a death wish, you don't go out and, you know, drink three glasses of whiskey. You know, straight whiskey. And most people can't because, well, it's whiskey. You sip whiskey. But when we take it and we play around with it and we make something like blackberry schnapps or something, you theoretically could. You shouldn't. So use moderation with what I'm going to talk about today. So I want to start out with kind of why would you want to even listen to a show like this? Why would you want to be able to do this beyond the fact that, hey, you can make stuff that tastes good? Well, first of all, it's a money-saving thing. If you like to drink things like Limoncello or Grand Marnier or Frangelico, or something like that. These things are expensive. Like, of the stuff I just mentioned, the least expensive out of that is Frangelico. Frangelico is about 25 bucks a bottle, plus tax. <coughs> Excuse me. And, uh, you know, things like Contro or Grand Marnier are $35, $40 a bottle for a 750 milliliter bottle. Well, you can make that, even doing it with, you know, kind of off-the-shelf essences or something like that, and taking all the shortcuts you, you possibly could for 10 bucks, 12 bucks a bottle. So you're saving a third, 75%, somewhere between a, you know, 25% and 75%, depending on what you're making, how expensive it is, and, and what you're ending up with. So there's a money saving thing to it. There's another thing to it, and that's just, I think it's a cool thing to be able to do. And I'm not one of these people that say, you know, the days of Mad Max are coming or something like that, but, I do see a place in time in the future, possibly the near future, where our economic paradigms are radically shifted. And I think this is a good skill to develop and cultivate for those times, and I'll say no more about that other than some things that we can't do today may be doable tomorrow. Okay. 
And uh, I guess another thing is this: everything I'm going to tell you about doing today is completely legal. Okay, there's no there's no illegality here. Now, some people that do something that is illegal, which we would call uh, making fuel that accidentally spills into your mouth, that thing's illegal. But everything I'm going to talk about doing today can be done with vodka or low-end brandy or rum uh, or grain alcohol or gin or something like that you can buy in the alcohol store, the liquor store. And then what you do is you're adding value to it. So we go out and we buy ourselves a um, you know a, 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 a half gallon basically of Taka vodka for twelve bucks, and we turn it into three to three and a half bottles of something that would cost us twenty five to thirty five dollars or more a bottle. You got it, and, and that's that's value add. Well, if we take that and sell that, that's still illegal. It doesn't matter. That you bought it and you paid the tax on all the alcohol, you, unless you are a licensed person to sell alcohol, cannot sell alcohol. That's illegal. But you can give it away. You can give it away. People do it all the time. People go and they, you're going to go to a dinner party. So what do they do? They go buy a bottle of wine. Now, a lot of times people that do this, they buy a bottle of wine. They don't know jack shit all about because... They're not wine drinkers, but it's just kind of customary. You're going to see somebody or whatever, have dinner with them. You bring a bottle of wine. So they bring a bottle of wine there. Then the, the, the bottle of wine ends up being something like, oh, I don't know, a rose-flavored muscadine. No, rose-flavored Moscato. That's what I'm like, as bad as it gets. Uh, but it sounded cool, so the person didn't know about wine bought it. So then they bring it. To the thing, and a person goes, "Oh, thank you," and it's a courtesy, and they set it on the counter, and it just never gets opened. And you know, like a few weeks later, they're going somewhere, so they take that bottle of rose flavored Moscato, and they 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 regift. Unless you find the one person in a hundred that'll drink peach flavored roses in a wine form from a, ugh, um, it, it might get regifted, you know, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen times because nobody really wants it, so it just keeps getting passed on. Well, if you bought brought a, a bottle of homemade walnut liqueur with you, I promise you, you're probably going to have a little bit in your coffee that evening after dinner, and they're going to cherish it, and they're going to enjoy it, and they're not going to re-gift it. So it makes a good gift as well. There's also things we can do if we do this ourselves that are beyond just tweaking a recipe to make your own. So what I mean by that is I make a peppermint schnapps, a high-proof peppermint schnapps, by the way, uh, something that would be akin to, like, rumplemints. It doesn't look like rumplemints because I use fresh peppermint, and therefore it comes out green instead of clear. But I put vanilla beans in it, <clears throat> vanilla beans. I make peppermint vanilla. It's really good. I, I don't know why there isn't a liqueur manufacturer out there making a peppermint vanilla high-proof schnapps-style liqueur because it would sell. It's pretty amazing. But that's making it truly my own. Like I've actually changed something drastic. But what if you enjoy something like Frangelico, which is usually about 40 proof, which is 20% alcohol, and you say, you know what, it's a bit sweet that way. I'd like it a little higher in alcohol. Again, I'm not trying to blow my liver up, but I'd, I'd like it to, instead of being 20% alcohol, to be 30, to be 60 proof. So it's got a little more alcohol heat, and I'd like to back the sugar off. So basically I want to make it exactly the way you would make it to clone it, except I want to up the alcohol and cut the sugar back a little. Well, you can do that. And that means that you can make things you cannot buy. And those are just a, full, a few of the reasons that I think 
you might like to do it. In the end, I just think it's fun. And I I have yet to ever have someone over for, for dinner or something like that or just a visit or gone to somebody's home and brought them some sort of alcohol infusion that I've made and had them go, oh, I, that's not interesting to me. I don't like that. Now, if I took it to somebody that doesn't drink, that would be a, just a faux pas. And, and then, you know, I, usually even that person would be like, you know, I, I don't drink, but I, I appreciate this. My brother, you know, show this to my brother or whatever. Like, go ahead. Um, so if, if someone consumes alcohol, they're generally interested in trying something that was made by a friend or a family member or an acquaintance. So let's start out with what kind of the crux of this is, because I'm going to talk about making liquor and liqueur. And I know you're thinking, if you know what the difference is, and let's get that out of the way, liquor is a distilled spirit of some kind. And then it could have been aged over oak to become bourbon. Uh, it could just be uh, liquor would be a vodka. It could be infused with certain things like juniper berries and other spices to become gin. It, it, liquor is a, 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 a straight spirit. It has not, it's maybe been infused with flavors or been put through some sort of a process like oaking or aging or what have you, but it hasn't been infused directly with, let's say, cherry juice, right? And then sugar. And that's really the defining thing. If you infuse, I don't know, vodka with cherries, but you don't sweeten it, you don't only really have a liqueur, you have an infused liquor. You have cherry vodka, which the infused vodkas have become all the rage in our society. Now you go into a liquor store and there's 10 different varieties of vodka and each one has 20 or 30 different infusions of vanilla and cupcake and Geez, I, I don't know why you would make cupcake frickin' vodka. That just sounds like you're trying to sell alcohol to children or something, but what do I know? But that is a liquor. A liqueur is where we actually start to get into a little bit of alchemy. And we're going to usually use something to make it a little more thick. We're going to probably reduce the proof over what we started with anyway. And that's another way that you know that you're making a liqueur versus a liquor. If you start out with 100 proof vodka and the product you end up with is 70 proof and you've reduced the proof by 30%, you've probably made a liqueur. So that could be things like a, a schnapps would be a perfect example of that. A chambord, a raspberry liqueur, things like that. The other thing you have kind of somewhere in the middle are brandies that are infused, like your Grand Marniers and your Contros and things. They're not really a liqueur, they're still a liquor, but yet they have liqueur-like characteristics. And where the, the, the needle falls on the difference uh, totally, like where's the cutoff, I don't really know. But to me, when you start reducing proof and you sweeten a product, you're moving into the world of liqueurs. And I'm going to talk about making them both. And you might be thinking, well, Jack, how are you going to tell me how to make liquor, which is like a vodka, uh, if it's illegal to distill and to do it legally? Okay, I'm not going to tell you how to make vodka. That's going to be the one thing I'm not going to tell you how to make, other than if you wanted to make cherry or vanilla or something like that, then it's just dump vodka on vanilla beans and you can infuse it with vanilla till you like the taste and you have vanilla vodka. I'm going to tell you how to take something that's like a vodka and turn it into something like a whiskey or a rum or a brandy. And the way that you're going to do that is with a product called alcohol essences, which is interesting because the alcohol essences have no alcohol in them at all. They have flavorings and essential oils and things like that. And basically the way that they're used is most of them are formulated to make three bottles by just, you, you put enough vodka 
in a container at the proof you wanted at to make three bottles of whiskey, and you shake up this little bottle of essence, and you dump it in there, and you make, let's say, rye whiskey. And I know what you're thinking. That can't be good. It's not bad. I've tried quite a few. We'll talk about more of them later. But that's one thing you can do with essences, to make liquor. Now, the other thing we can do with essences is we can make liqueurs. So I've, I've mentioned Frangelico a couple times, probably because I like it. Frangelico is a hazelnut liqueur. It's Italian-made. It's very delicate. It's, it's a bit sweet for me, but I like the flavor. I love roasted hazelnuts. And if you want to make Frang a Frangelico clone and you want to start with hazelnuts, actual hazelnuts, you need blanched hazelnuts, you can do it. I'm going to give you a book later that tells you how to do it, but the process is involved. They have to be roasted, then you have to get all the skins off them, and then they have to be infused. And it's, it's not hard, it's just pretty involved, and you end up with a bottle. Or you can go over to Mile High Distilling, which you'll hear more about in a little bit, and you can get a little bottle of hazelnut liqueur essence. And you can take that little bottle that costs you about five bucks, and you can dump it into enough vodka that you're going to end up when you end up at the end of your, your recipe, which will be right on the little bottle, with three 750 milliliter bottles of something that tastes a lot like Frangelico, and you can make it for about eight to nine dollars a bottle versus twenty six twenty seven and you can make it in literally five minutes in your kitchen with a spoon and a container big enough to hold it and a place to put it once you're done making it. So that that's and you'll need some sugar. And it'll tell you how much sugar to use and all of that. We'll talk about calculating our so you can make that in like, hey, you know what it'd be cool if when people came over tonight we could make a nutty millionaire. And instead of storing Like in an open bar, all these different alcohols, you could store essences and make it up as you need it from straight neutral spirits, wherever you get them, however you get them. I'll leave it at that. But generally, that would be buying, you know, 80 and 100 proof vodka or Everclear, which we'll talk about how to use that affordably in a little bit here to make things go a little higher. So that is one, another reason you use essences. The other is they give you that quick path to something like a Frangelico or a Chambord or whatever. But if you wanted to make higher alcohol, all you would have to do is if the instructions say, just to take it up a little bit, start with 80 proof neutral spirits, use 100 proof vodka. You just, you just took the proof up. So it lets you do things very quickly and very flexibly. You can make, and you could have a, a recipe that calls for brandy. And, and, and cheap brandy is usually not good, you know, compared to cheap vodka. Really. And there's not a lot of cheap brandy out there. Brandy's usually a little more expensive, even the lower cost prices of it. But we can use cheap vodka with essence to make brandy and then use that brandy in our infusion to make like an orange brandy. So it gives us a lot of flexibility. It's very affordable, very inexpensive, very easy to use. If you could dump a bottle into another bottle, you can use essences. So that's why you might use them. Next, the other thing you can do in all of these things, but not all of them are really suitable for it, is aging on oak. And so, for instance, recently I played around with uh, an, oak, uh, um, an alcohol essence that I'll talk about here uh, later uh, for a Cuban rum uh, from Mile High Distilling. And we dumped it in and we tasted it and we said that kind of is pretty much like a Cuban rum. But it's missing something. So we took a third of an oak infusion spiral and we popped it in the bottle with it. And we're going to let it age for a week and we'll taste it every couple of days until we get kind of the oak character that we want added to that rum 
rumminess, and then we'll bottle it. So then we have our own Jamaican rum that we made for next to nothing. And we could use that in a, a rum infusion with some sort of a liqueur. And we've basically taken it from tip to tail and done it all our own except for the distillation of the alcohol. And, 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 and that is something you can add with oak. Now, there are people out there that believe you can take a, a bottle of cheap vodka and throw like a dark toasted oak spiral in it and it will turn into beautiful bourbon. If that were true, the bourbon companies would be doing it. it, it it's something that you can use as an addition. I recommend some other types of infusion, but there are some cool things that one could do. One could use a cherry brandy alcohol essence and then put a little oak on it. That would be one type of thing that a person could do. Or one person might actually make a cherry brandy and oak it a bit before they use the cherry brandy to make a cherry liqueur, bringing even more cherries to the party with some sweetening. So I'm not going to tell you how to do all this because there's too many things. That can, there's literally a bazillion different things you can do. But when you just start understanding what these different pieces, parts are, then you start to understand what can be done. Moving into just the world of liqueurs, the sweetened stuff. We're going to just, from this point on, if I'm calling it a liqueur, it's been sweetened with some sort of sugar or sugar-like product. And I wish I could tell you that I found a low-carb way to make liqueurs. That you can, you know, use some kind of, like, thickener, and then you can use something like a stevia to sweeten it. It tastes good. It does not. I've tried it. It does not. It does not. It does not. It does not. Here's why I think you should relax if you're kind of a low-carb type person. Again, this is something that you don't have five of. This is something that if you make a, a cherry liqueur uh, that you're going to sip, that you have a cherry, you know, a little like a little snifter of it, and you have maybe an ounce or two, and you slowly sip it, and you look out at the cold weather in the winter and think of spring and cherry blossoms. That's what this is. So the, the volume consumed should be sufficient that it's not really a health concern anyway. You're probably more concerned about the volume of alcohol than the volume of sugar. That's one reason. And the other is even in a mixed drink, like let's say we were going to take something like that, like a, a Frangelico clone, and instead of putting it in Coke or soda or something, all we would need is sparkling water because it brings some sweetness along to the party by itself. So I, I just wouldn't worry about that. But we are going to have to sweeten it. And what we sweeten it with is going to be really important to what we're trying to make. The most common thing that, uh, that, that people will sweeten with is what's called simple syrup. And, and simple syrup is called simple syrup because it's damn simple. The recipes I'm about to give you are all out of a book uh, that I featured on T-SPAS today for the TSP item of the day. It's called Homemade Liquors and Infused Spirits by Andrew Slosh. And I'm going to give you quite a bit out of this book. I still think it's worth investing in because I'm not going to give you everything. Otherwise, I'd be sitting here for four hours reading a book to you and you would get bored. But the basic simple syrup he gives you is the ingredients are two and a quarter cups of water and two and a quarter cups of granulated sugar. Mix the sugar and the water in a small saucepan until the sugar is moistened. Bring to a boil over medium-high heat. Stir to make sure the sugar is completely dissolved. Then remove from the heat and let cool. Refrigerate for up to three months. So that's simple syrup. And by keeping some simple syrup around, you can always have a cup here or there to make your different liqueurs. You can also make brown simple syrup. <laughs> you know how to make that? Two and a quarter cups of water, two and a quarter cups of dark brown sugar, and then do the same thing I just said. I'm not going to read it again. Uh, but you're going to boil it till it's dissolved. That's it. 
Um, and that's going to allow you to make whiskey and brandy-based liqueurs and have a little more depth of flavor, something that will stand up to those bigger characteristics. And uh, you could make, if you wanted to make basically two cups of this instead of, you know, four and a half, which is what this will yield, you could make a cup and a cup of each. So simple syrups are generally equal amounts of sugar and water. How much you make is based on your needs. Now, what about if you wanted something more candy-like with sophisticated tastes, like something you're trying to do like a tropical liqueur or a brandy-based liqueur and you wanted something more, you want, might want to make a caramelized simple syrup. How do you make a caramelized simple syrup? Well, you need one cup of granulated cane sugar, in other words, sugar. You need two cups of simple syrup you've already made, and you need one quarter to one half cup of boiling water. What you do is you heat the sugar in a small saucepan over medium-high heat until it begins to melt and brown at the edges. That's with no water. Okay, So we're going to put the dry sugar, and we're going to start to heat it in a saucepan until it starts to melt and brown. Stir it with a wooden spoon. The sugar will become lumpy. Keep stirring. Within a few minutes, it will turn a deep orange amber and become completely fluid. Stand back and carefully pour your simple pour in the simple syrup. The mixture will bubble and steam violently, and the caramelized sugar in the pan will solidify. Keep stirring until most of the caramel melts into the liquid, about one minute. And uh, I kind of messed that up. It's not a dry pan. You're going to put one quarter to one half cup of water in the pan first. You're going to get it boiling. Then you're going to add your one cup of granulated sugar, and that's going to you know, be more like a paste. And you're going to do exactly what I just said then. So I kind of messed that one up reading it. I'm not usually the guy that reads things to you guys on the air. Anyway, you're going to keep stirring until most of the solid caramel melts into the liquid. That'll take about one minute. <clears throat> Pour it through a mesh strainer into a heat-resistant measuring cup. That would be one of those Pyrex uh, ones. Those are the, the best to use for that. You're going to add enough boiling water to bring it up to two cups and stir briefly. Refrigerate in a sealed container and use in three months. Discard or eat the solid caramel that remains in the strainer. That sounds like a tough gig. So that's the caramel syrup, and that is useful, though I'm not going to talk about anything you need to know how to make it today with. And what about creamy? What if you want to make a creamy simple syrup? Oh, this is easy. One cup of heavy cream, one cup of granulated cane sugar, one 14-ounce can of sweetened condensed milk. Combine the cream and sugar in a heavy saucepan, bring to a gentle boil over medium heat, stirring frequently, especially as it approaches boil. Remove from heat, stir in the condensed milk, pour into a clean jar, still in refrigerate, use within two weeks. So this would be for making any kind of a cream liqueur. And if you wanted to have a tangy creamy syrup, something that would go really good with, like, let's say, a raspberry cream liqueur, like you, you want to bring some tang into it, well, it's not hard. We'd use one cup of heavy cream, one cup of granulated sugar, one and a quarter cup of vanilla or whole milk yogurt, preferably Greek style, to put the tang in there. Combine the cream and sugar in a heavy saucepan, bring to a gentle boil over medium heat, stirring frequently, especially as it approaches boil, remove from heat, stir in the yogurt, pour into a clean jar, seal and refrigerate, use within two weeks. So those are just an example of some of the simple syrups. There's a couple more. There's a coconut cream syrup and a brown cow simple syrup that you can make that are in this book and a lot of recipes that use them. But if you just understand where we've already gone now with this, it starts to get interesting because it just sounds like a bunch of stuff until you start thinking about it. Well, we have simple syrup, and if we were going to make something using uh, cherries and we wanted to make just like a cherry liqueur, a light, fruity cherry liqueur, we could use a neutral spirit and like a vodka and simple syrup. And maybe a vanilla bean. 
and make a cherry vanilla kind of light fruity thing. But if we wanted to make it more depth and more complex, we could use a spirit like a brandy along with brown simple syrup, but the same amount of cherries and vanilla and come up with something totally different. And, and, and that's where you start to realize like the, the pieces and parts of this are completely unlimited. So let's talk about the basic process of making liquors. And if you get this book, it'll tell you when to do one or the other of the two things that I'm about to tell you. But it's, it's always the same. Number one, you take your fruit or your herbs. And again, we're at liqueurs right now. We're not at liqueur. We're not trying to make uh, something like a, that's basically a vodka into uh, a rye whiskey. We're just trying to make um, a peppermint schnapps. Okay? So we're going to muddle our fruit, herbs, etc. with alcohol. But with certain fruits, like let's say banana, if we were doing banana, you want to go ahead and put your simple syrup and alcohol in at the beginning together. There are certain fruits that make sense to do it with, certain ones you don't want to bring the sugar to the party until the end of the party. We're going to put them in some kind of a jar. We're going to put a lid on it. We're going to put it in a cool, dark place. We're going to leave it sit long enough for it to infuse. Depending on what we're infusing, it could be a day, it could be seven days, it could be two weeks. Most things are about seven days. Which is nice because you make it on Saturday and you take it out next Saturday. So seven days is pretty easy to keep track of because we have a seven-day week. Um, but there are certain things like if you were doing, like for some reason, a pepper, uh, that infuses really quick into vodka, like a couple hours. So if you're going to make like a hot pepper for some reason, just think about what you're doing and taste frequently. But after it's aged sufficiently, we're going to strain out the ingredients And then if it's to be sweetened, now we're going to sweeten it with our sugar or our simple syrup or whatever the recipe calls for at the end. We're going to bottle it, and we're going to enjoy it. That's the whole thing. And if I have one, one complaint about this book, she could have made, you know, method A and method B, and just, or he, the guy that wrote this book, and then after, in each recipe said use method A for infusion, use method B, but it, it repeats the whole instruction process at every single recipe to add filler to the book, I guess. That's my one complaint about the book as a whole. There is um, one place I take exception with the author of this book. He says over and over again, do not press your herbs or your fruit or whatever it is in your strainer to extract all of the juice and all of the alcohol because you can get some off flavors. This guy's a cook. He's written quite a few cookbooks. He's a bit of a foodie. I don't say this in a bad way, a bit of a food snob. And I have always pressed out my infusions. I don't press them out like some kind of madman with white knuckles trying to get every single drop because I'm stingy about it. But I always take usually a wooden spoon on the backside of a, of a metal colander and I just push gently and what comes out comes out. There's a couple reasons for that. I've mentioned cherries a couple times, so let's use cherries for an example. If you were to fill a mason jar to the top with cherries, okay, and and and, and then fill it with hunterproof vodka, you would end up with almost about equal amounts of cherry and vodka in the jar, just because of the way cherries are shaped and fit. And if you then took the vodka off and discarded the cherries. Your vodka could be as low as 50% from the, the exchange that happens between the cherries and the vodka. 
the alcohol is a great solvent. It, it, it penetrates the, the cherries, and it goes inside, and it says, what do you got to give me? And the cherries give off their wonderful cherry juice and cherry essence and cherry flavor and the tannins of their skins, and that all goes out into the vodka. But if you look at the cherries, they don't shrivel up like a raisin. That means whatever went out, something went in to replace it. Now, it's probably not going to be knocked down the, the alcohol remaining to 50%, and you'd never really make an infusion for a liqueur by filling it to the top. But my point is, it's taking away some of the alcohol. So we might want to take some of it back. The other thing is, there's a lot of goodness and flavor in there. And by giving it a gentle squeeze, we bring that out. You can do it either way. You can follow the, the example in the book. You can make two batches of the same thing. Try squeezing one, not the other. See if you can even tell the difference and make up your own mind. I'm just telling you what I've always done when I strain my ingredients is I give them a gentle press. Um, let's talk about making liquor uh, with essences or liqueurs with essences versus raw ingredients. Well, what you're going to do is select the essence of your choice, uh, whatever it is that you want to make. Cream de menthe, I don't care. I don't know why anybody drinks that shit, but it says what you want to make. You're going to add it to the proper amount of whatever neutral spirit you're supposed to add it to. We'll say vodka, 80 proof. And you're going to add any other called for ingredients. And that's it. You're going to stir it up and you're going to be done. That's how simple it is. Now, if you're making a liquor like rye whiskey, you would take, let's say, 80 proof vodka, enough to make three bottles. If you're using the, the, the larger uh, size bottle or, you know, you can measure a third of it. If you, Because most of the little essence bottles I'll talk about in a minute uh, will make three 750 milliliters per little bottle. That's how concentrated they are. And you put that in a container, you dump it in, you stir it up, you divide it into your three bottles, and you, you're done. You're done. You've now got a, a reasonable approximation of rye whiskey. You've made it by adding extract of vodka. It is that easy, and it's pretty damn close. Now, any of these could then be wood-aged or further spiced. So we could take a rum essence, and they make a spiced rum essence. And you could get the spiced rum essence and make something approaching Captain Morgan spiced rum. Or you could get a kind of a neutral rum, like the Cuban amber rum that I, that I like, and then you could do your own spicing and maybe some oak and spicing at the same time. So you can do whatever you want. Now, I'm going to say this. When you start playing with spices and you start playing with oak, and you're using a high-proof alcohol, and you're using something like the Oak Infusion Spirals that I recommend because they are so fantastic, high-proof alcohol extracts from spices and oak and things like that very, very quickly. It, it's, it's pretty amazing how quickly it does it. So this is something you're going to want to taste until you get some level of a concept of how long your recipe needs to last. But my point is... It doesn't have to be even with essences, just a dump and stir. It's also the case that if you wanted to make a liqueur with essence, let's say you wanted to do the Frangelico that I've talked about, the hazelnut liqueur, that you would use your, your hazelnut essence, your neutral spirit, your vodka, what have you, but then you're going to also add simple syrup or sugar or whatever the little bottle tells you to do. The little bottle will be its own recipe for you. You also don't have to be constrained by that. You could play around with it. You could add a little bit, add a little bit. There's no reason if you wanted to make a hazelnut vodka, you couldn't put a certain amount of vodka and then start using an eyedropper and mix and taste and mix and taste until you got what you wanted. 
This is like alchemy. You 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 have complete and total freedom here. Um, I do want to talk about though calculating your alcohol in the final product. So you can go to Amazon.com. You can go to a homebrew store. You can go to a lot of places. You can buy a little product called a hydrometer, and you can get multiple types of hydrometers. There's you know a hydrometer that's really a beer and wine making hydrometer. That's not what you would need for proofing high proof alcoholic vodka. And that's a, that's a totally different thing. We're going to leave that on the shelf today. Or you can get what's called a proof and trails hydrometer. And we can take a bottle of 80 proof vodka, pour it in a tube, and stick that hydrometer in there, and it should say on that hydrometer 80 proof or somebody's lying. And it probably ain't a hydrometer. It's probably a person who made a vodka. Very tightly controlled world. I highly doubt that that's going to happen, but that's what you're going to get. So when people hear that, what they think is, well, I know. I'll make my hazelnut liqueur, I'll make my peppermint schnapps, I'll, I'll make my chamomile angel, which I'll tell you how to make in a little bit here, and I'll just drop my hydrometer in there and it'll tell me what I need to know. No, it won't. No, it won't. Those hydrometers are calibrated to calculate the, the volume of alcohol in pure water. So once anything else goes in there, it's going to be off. Now, something like oak-aged bourbon or something like that, it's probably going to proof pretty close. There's some particulate matter, some things that have been added to that, but it's going to be still close. That, that, that hydrometer is going to be close in giving you a, a thing, a rum that's barrel-aged, etc. But when we put sugar in there, the way the hydrometer works is it's based on buoyancy. How buoyant, or un and the more alcohol, the less buoyant, because alcohol is less dense than water. So if it's if it's half water and half alcohol, it'll float about let's say at at fifty uh, percent or one hundred proof. If it is forty percent alcohol or eighty proof, it's going to float a little higher. And I guess I should mention that most people know this, so I skipped over it. But proof and alcohol percentage are totally different things, even though they're completely related. So when you hear something's eighty proof, it's forty percent alcohol. When you hear something is 150 proof, it's 75% alcohol. If it were 200 proof, then it's going to be 100% alcohol. Grain alcohol, Everclear, about 192 proof. 192 proof, so it's 94% alcohol, something like that, whatever the hell it is. 91% alcohol, 91, is that right? 180, no, 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 it's, uh, geez, what's wrong with my head right now? I, I don't get it. Freaking 96% alcohol, right? So it's 96% alcohol. It's almost 100%, but not quite there. So we can always calculate one way or the other with that. And once we have that knowledge, it's actually really easy to calculate what our final volume of alcohol is going to be when we, when we look at our concoction. And what we're going to want to do is we're going to start out by figuring out, well, how much alcohol in ounces are there in the spirit based on how much we're using. So let's say we were going to do something with 151 proof rum, right? 151, no, Bacardi 151. And we're going to use 16 ounces of it. One, you know, mason jar of 150 proof rum, 16 ounces. So what we're going to do then is we're going to, and I'm going to give you a page that outlines this so you don't have to follow all my math. But we would take 16 ounces times the percent of alcohol. Now, what's the percent of alcohol in 151? 
75.5. Screw it, call it 75%. So 16 times 75 equals 1,200. Once we have that, we're going to divide that number by 100. I know you think you're back in high school math. This is really easy. It really is. Multiply the ounces times the percent of alcohol and divide by 100. Just say it in your head. Multiply the percent of alcohol times the ounces and then divide that product by 100. What that's going to tell us is that in a 16-ounce jar of 151, there are 12 ounces of alcohol. 12 ounces of alcohol. So then all we have to do is say, how much are we increasing it by? So if we're going to double the amount of volume, so I'm going to take my 16 ounces of 151, and whatever I add to it is going to be another 16 ounces. I'll make 32 ounces. What I'm going to do then is simply take the 12 that I have, the 12 ounces of alcohol, divide that by the total number of ounces, which would be 37.5%, which is easy because you just cut it in half. But if you do it that way, you can always calculate it. So if you figured out that in this particular batch, I have 10 ounces of alcohol, for instance, however that came out, but I'm going to end up with 30 ounces of product, I'm going to have 33% alcohol. And again, if this is confusing you, I will. I have a link in the show notes on how to calculate it. And when you look at the numbers and just do a couple fake ones and write them down yourself, it, it makes perfect sense. I, I'm not a guy that likes math. I can usually do, despite my faux pas earlier, I can usually do pretty complex math in my head pretty fast. But I don't like algebra and things like that. This is really easy. Okay, so now we know how to do that. Now what this might lead us to is the realization that this particular recipe that we're going to follow is going to produce a product that is about, let's say, 40 proof or 20% alcohol. And you might think that's going to be awful sweet. It's not going to have a lot of alcohol heat to it. It's going to probably be really viscous with the amount of sugar that it's going to have. And I want to increase the alcohol. I want to come up with something more like, let's say, um, I want to go high, like almost whiskey straight, like 70 proof. And there's a couple different ways we can do that. One is we can reduce the amount of simple syrup or sugar and water or maybe less water and more sugar or whatever you want to do, but we can reduce the total volume we end up with. Now, the problem with that is we may end up with a flavor imbalance. So, especially if we're going off an existing recipe. So a better way to do it is simply start with a higher proof neutral spirit. So again, if that, that, that recipe is going to do that to us, it's starting out with 80 proof vodka, then we can just run the numbers. Well, what if we start with 100 proof vodka? What if we do everything exactly the same? We just go up 100 proof vodka. And let's say, without doing all kinds of clunky math over an audio podcast, you won't follow anyway, and I'll probably mess up. Let's say it doesn't get you there. And you realize, I need to start out with something about 120 proof to end up with something at, let's say, 70 proof, or even 60 proof, depending on how much other stuff's going in it. And I want a 60 proof, 30% alcohol product. That's, that's not insanity. That's not really, really high. That's not going to catch on fire if we light it with a match. 
Though be careful, because some of these liquors with the the, the, the uh, alcohol combined with the sugar, eh, it can be quite flammable. But in the end, we say, well, I need 120-proof vodka. No one makes that. So you think to yourself, I know what I'll do. I'll go get some of that freaking Everclear stuff that's 192-proof, and I'll dilute it down to 120-proof, and then I'll use that. And you'll say, okay, that makes sense. You'll go out to the, the liquor store, because like me, you probably don't buy that stuff very often because you, you don't want to blow your liver up. And unless you're doing something like this with it, it doesn't really make sense. And you say, well, self, I'll go get myself a half gallon of that shit, which is really .46 gallons to the big bottle. And you look on the shelf, and it says 40 bucks, and you go, bullshit, I'm not doing that. That doesn't make any sense. It's too expensive. I had somebody comment today on the blog already about this when it comes to higher proof liqueurs. What you would do instead is start with your 100-proof uh, vodka and do the same math I just went over to figure out how much Everclear do I have to add to the 100-proof vodka to bring it up to 120 for the volume I need to start and then work back down from there. Or the simple way. You get a, a, a deep enough vessel that's clear so you can see it to hold your vodka. You dump your bottle of vodka in. You throw a hydrometer in there. You start slowly adding a little bit at a time of your Everclear. And you, you wait and you let the hydrometer settle and you keep adding more and you keep adding more and you keep adding more. And uh, when, you're, when you're done with that, you, is when, you, when it floats out, you know, your, your, your 60% alcohol 120 proof. And if you make a note of how much you use, the next time you just measure it and dump it. So you can add it, let's say, an ounce at a time or a shot glass at a time or whatever. And then you know in the future use this much to get it to this amount. You can even make a cheat sheet if you like doing this a lot. But that's the way that you can use Everclear, and it's not expensive. If you dilute it down, Everclear is extremely expensive. There's no need to dilute down Everclear. It's almost 100% alcohol. So you're going you're gonna to bump... Per 10 ounces, if you add about an ounce and a quarter, you're going to bump it right to about 110 proof. So you're going to probably have to add two and a half, three ounces of it to a 10-ounce amount of vodka to push it to 130. That's a much more cost-effective use of that stuff. It's very expensive because it's pure alcohol, so it's taxed as pure alcohol. That's, that's the biggest reason. And you know, I, I think that they're probably worried about how much purple passion people are going to make and how much trouble comes from that because that's just not a good thing. So that's how you do that. Here's a few recipes that I, I've made out of this book that I really like that I wanted to share with you to give you a taste for what you can do and, and how easy it really is. Let's say you wanted to make a, a Grand Marnier clone or a Contro clone. The great stuff uh, to be used in your margaritas and it's actually pretty good just to have a little sip of here and there. So how would we make this? We would take either a fifth of brandy or cognac, 80 proof, and the other option would be we could make our own brandy using an essence. We're going to need the finely grated zest of eight oranges and two tablespoons of dried bitter orange peel and one cup of brown, brown simple syrup. That's what we're going to need. How we're going to make it, we're going to muddle the brandy. Now, that means we're going to take like a wooden spoon and put the, the alcohol in and the, the ingredients in, the, in a jar, and we're going, to, we're going to macerate it. We're going to mash it up with a little bit 
of alcohol, and then we'll add more as we go. But we're going to start out with just a little bit. We're going to we're going to pound it. So when I say muddle, that's what I mean. So we're going to muddle the brandy, orange zest, and dried orange peel with a wooden spoon in a half gallon jar and stir to moisten everything. Fill it up. We're going to seal the jar and put it in a cool, dark cabinet until the liquid smells and tastes strongly of orange. That'll take three to five days this way. We're going to strain the mixture with a mesh strainer into a clean quart jar. Do not put the solids, do not, they say don't push on the solids to extract more liquid. In this instance, I probably agree. It's not a fruit, it's not going to hold much, and the orange, even when you zest, it's going to have some pith, so I'm not going to squeeze this one out. So I agree on that one. We're going to stir in the brown simple syrup, steel and sword, a cool dark cabinet, and we're going to use that within a year. And I think when they say use within a year, they're covering their ass because that's what all authors do for insurance purposes. Because this stuff's going to last as long as any liqueur would. Next, I wanted to give you an herbal one that would be kind of unique and even somewhat medicinal. And if you're like me and you're not a fan of gin, you could make this same thing using vodka because I'm not a fan of gin. This is called chamomile angel. And the way you make chamomile angel is you would use two cups of Dutch-style gin at 80 proof, one cup of dry vermouth, at about that's about 18% alcohol by volume. If you want to calculate your, fi your final alcohol on this, you would do those two individually, get your total ounces, and then do the rest of the math. And that's all on the page that I gave you. You'll use one ounce or about two and a half cups of dried chamomile blossoms, um, one half cup of dried angelica root, and three tablespoons of dried tarragon, along with one cup of simple syrup. You'll combine the gin, vermouth, chamomile, angelica, and tarragon in a half-gallon jar and stir to moisten everything. Seal the jar and put a cool, dark cabinet until the liquid smells and tastes of strong herbs. Three to five days. Strain the mixture, stir in the simple syrup there at the end, and seal and, seal and store in a cool, dark cabinet. And again, the author says use within one year, and I say poppycock. This next one they call Pure Pear. It's actually a copy of something called Pore William, which is very expensive. If you've ever seen it, it's, it makes a striking display. It's a bottle of pear liqueur with a pear inside the bottle, a whole pear inside the bottle. How do they do that? They pollinate the pear blossom. They slide the bottle over the pear blossom. They attach the, the bottle to the tree The pear forms inside the bottle, and they yank it off, and then they top it up with pear liqueur. You're not going to do all that. You're going to make it much more simple here. But this stuff's very expensive, and it's very good. To make it, you'll need six pears, stemmed and finely chopped, one-fifth uh, of vodka at 80 to 100 proof, depending on what you're trying to make, and three-quarters of a cup of simple syrup. That's it. Muddle the pears with a wooden spoon and a half-gallon jar. Add vodka and stir to moisten the fruit. You get it, right? So that's it. That's your ingredients. You're going to muddle that. You're going to cover it with alcohol. You're going to let it sit about seven days. Stir your simple syrup in. Seal and store in a cool, dark cabinet and use it within one year. Um, I, I pick on the author for, for outlining that same process over and over. I'm doing it a little bit here because I'm not giving you 160 recipes or whatever. I'm giving you four. And uh, I, I just kind of want to drive home that it's it's really this simple. It really is. How about Kahlua? Now, there's a lot of different ways to make Kahlua. And I have a, a way that I make Kahlua that's uh, different than this, that's kind of my secret. And I have a friend that makes it a way that's kind of his secret. And I'm not going to give away either of those. But I'm going to tell you how you can make a pretty damn decent Kahlua. 
And I'll give you this one because it's published in a book. And that's why I'm giving you mostly recipes that are published in books instead of my private stuff out of my private little book that I keep for myself. Um, to make this, you need a fifth of vodka. Um, and you need that to be 80 to 100 proof, depending on what you want your final product to be. You need one and a half cups of dark roast coffee beans cracked. You need the finely grated zest of one lemon. I wouldn't use that. I'm just going to say my super secret recipe, I don't use lemon in it at all, but they say to use it, so I'm telling you. You need to brew three quarters of a cup of espresso and three quarters of a cup of sugar. And if you want to do three quarters of a cup of espresso, and you have an espresso machine, make three quarters of a cup of coffee and brew it at double strength. Okay? That's all you got to do for that. You need three quarters of a cup of sugar. Notice I didn't say simple syrup. I said sugar. You're going to combine the vodka, coffee, beans, and lemon zest in a half-gallon jar and stir to moisten everything. You're going to seal the jar, put it in a cool, dark cabinet until the liquid smells and tastes strongly of coffee three to five days. While the liquor is maturing, make coffee-flavored syrup by combining the brewed espresso and sugar in a small saucepan. So what you're going to do is you're taking double-strength coffee and sugar, and you're going to mix that together. Strain the mixture into a clean quart jar. Do not push the salt to extract more liquid. Remember I said it anyway. Stir in your coffee syrup, seal and soar in a cool dark cabinet used within one year. And I say poppycock on the one year. So basically you're going to use the espresso to make simple syrup. And you're going to add that to your coffee infusion. And oh, well, I'm not going to give away everything. I'm just going to say, you know, if you had a uh, vanilla bean in there, it wouldn't really hurt anything, and you might be really, really happy. So that's how you make Kahlua. And I want to explain again, there's over 100 recipes. I think it's like 160-some recipes in this book. And you can pick this book up. I think the Kindle edition that I bought is like $2.99. But I just ordered the hard copy because this is a recipe book, and I just kind of feel like it'll be... One of those books I'll put in my cabinet in my kitchen, and it'll be better served for me that way. I really don't like print books anymore. Uh, I have a office literally full of bookshelves, and I don't have room for anything else in it because of the bookshelves. And I'm about to do a book purge again. Either they're going upstairs to be stored, or they're getting donated or whatever, unless I really need them. I'm going to try to go from four bookshelves down to maybe one and a, one and a half and then move them out of here because I'd like to put some fish tanks in here, just as a side note, and some cool things that might be coming in this year for you to see for our homesteading activities with breeding pescados. Pescado means fish, for those who don't know. Anyway, uh, let's move on. So that's making some liqueurs on the essences. I have a few that I've tried, and this is where I can not only help you, you can help me help you. The best company I've found, and I've tried it up a bunch of different places in buying them, but when it comes to total selection, price, availability, service, all that good stuff, is not Amazon.com. So it's not on Prime, it's not going to ship for free, and it's not going to be here in, in 48 hours or less. But it's pretty damn fast. You get it the same week you ordered it, and it's a company I've mentioned a couple times. They're called Mile High Distilling. Here's the deal with Mile High Distilling. They don't just sell essences. They sell all kinds of really cool stuff including stuff that one would use to make ethanol fuel if one wanted to do it legally. Some really cool things, like way beyond a little tabletop Stephen Harris still. We're talking milk cans and alambic stills and stuff like that. They also have a ton of things for infusing oak and uh, different spirals, and uh, they have things for the home brewer and things like that as well, and they're just a cool company. 
And I've been in discussions with these guys and been like, you guys need to do a discount for my people. I'll put you in the MSB and, you know, I'll get you a lot of business. And I, oh, we want to do it. We want to do it. And then you don't hear back and you hit them. Oh, we're trying to figure out how to do it. And I, I think it's probably a technical issue that they don't know how to use their shopping cart software to add the freaking feature. And they haven't been willing to tell me what software they're using for their shopping cart is that some kind of trade secret because then I could get like a developer to say, oh, here's where you click that button, but whatever. Uh, but I, I've talked to these guys leading up to Christmas. We're going to do it. We're going to do it a couple different times. And then it just went dark and I haven't been knocking on their door since. But I was thinking that if a bunch of you went and bought some essences today, not because you're doing it just for this reason, but because you legitimately just want them. And there's a little place when you fill out the order form on the right side, a little, it's a small box. It's awful small for a comment box, but there's a little small box just where your name and all your address is just over to the right a little box that's for notes. If, if, if you buy anything from them today, anything at all, or if from hearing this episode, please put found you on Jack Spirico's survival podcast. That's enough. If you want to mention, you know, I'd be interested in buying more if you did a discount for his members or something, that's fine. But just, just, Just knock on the door as you do your ordering and help me get you a discount on all that really great stuff. Okay? Some really cool to go look at. It. It's called Mile High Distilling. Links in the show notes today. And for each of these essences that I've tried, I have a, a, a little, little thing in the notes that says source next to it. You click to that, it'll go directly to that page so you don't have to find it on their website. The first one I've tried is their hazelnut. And uh, this is really good. Um, I talked about how in that book it tells you how to make basically a hazelnut liqueur and toasting hazelnuts and peeling all of the the skin off of them. And I went, I don't know. And I tried this and I went, well, I'm not doing that because the bottle of stuff's like four bucks, four seventy, something like that, and it makes three bottles, and it's fantastic. And I think I'm thinking of using it for some other things. I'm thinking a hazelnut mead. And it, the, the way to do that is the eyedropper and your gallon of mead right before you bottle it and add some in taste and add some in taste. and It's fantastic, the hazelnut. Uh, it's also, again, it's one of the more expensive things that you can uh, end up having to buy. There's a, there, there is a, uh, another one that actually is really expensive to buy the liqueur. And the extract or the essence is really, really great. It's a macadamia nut. And I can't remember the brand name of the macadamia nut liqueur, but that stuff's like 30 bucks, 35 bucks a bottle. And their essence is great. Now, here's what I didn't know when I bought it. There's a product that they also sell made by Still Spirits. It's called Liqueur Base B. They actually have an A, a B, and a C for different liqueurs. This one requires that or... You need liquid glucose. I have links to both of them in the show notes right next to the macadamia nut. Macadamia nut has me thinking, too. Michael Jordan was nice enough to give me a couple bottles of macadamia nut mead when he was here for our workshop. It was really good. He used macadamia nut honey, and I think he boiled macadamia. It sounded very complicated. This stuff is great. So I think not only might it make a macadamia nut uh, liqueur, but it would make a nice macadamia nut mead. I also think it might make, like, if you were to be someone that brews beer and you were making a brown ale, either of the nuts, the hazel or the macadamia, would go real nice into a batch of beer. Now, a five-gallon batch of beer, how far will one of these little bottles take it? I don't know. 
But something tells me pretty far because you're not trying to do to it what you're doing to a liqueur. You're just trying to put that hint there. So it would be something I would kind of taste as I went or maybe even take a brown ale in a bottle and when you drink it, just use a dropper or two of this stuff and then from that extrapolate how much to use in a five-gallon batch. Okay, so that's another option. Or you could, if you're a bottler, I don't bottle anymore with beer. I make beer for my keyser and I put it in a five-gallon you know, keg. But if you're a bottler, you could bottle half with and half without or, or however you wanted to do it. So that would be another one. Now, those two are liqueurs, which I was pretty hip on the essences right away when I saw those. I had my doubts about doing something like taking vodka and turning it into Cuban rum. Until I tried the Cuban rum essence. Pretty good. It's pretty good. So Cuban rum's another one I've used, and another one's rye whiskey. Um, I don't know if it tastes like what I think of an American rye whiskey, but it's an awful lot like Crown Royal without the, like Crown Royal has a sweetness to it. It's more like a Canadian whiskey to me than an American rye, but the, uh, the, the still, or the top shelf is the brand of that rye whiskey is good. And it has a rye-like thing going on, but the funny thing is in the ingredients, there's no rye. There's only barley and some other things in there. But these essences you can use. And again, if you if you give Mile High Distilling a shot on any other stuff after today's show, just let them know where you heard about them. And uh, I'll follow up later this week and say, hey, guys, do you want to do something for my members? Because then maybe we'll get the door opened a little bit more wide. I, I, I would think that with the number of people listening to this show, we might flood them with enough orders this week. It's winter. It's cold. Making stuff like this is fun this time of year. And a little bit of a warm hazelnut liqueur on a cold evening in front of a fireplace. Guys, give it a shot. Trust me. Um, some final thoughts. Again, I want to say one more time, these are for sipping Don't go blowing your liver up with this or causing yourself health problems with this. Uh, you're talking about higher proof stuff. It's not a glass of wine. Right? So when you're making these things, think about this is something you use in moderation. I mean, honestly, the beauty of it is if you make up three 750 milliliter bottles of a, a hazelnut liqueur, a macadamia nut liqueur, that should be like good for like a year, I would think, for most people. Or you know, if you do a lot of entertaining or something, maybe not quite, but I mean twice, then you should be good for a year. I mean, a bottle of that stuff every two months, geez, that's, I'm, I'm just saying that you, if you're doing that with all of them, you, you might have a problem and you are blowing up your liver. So you can do a lot of variety for a little bit of money and, and, and do a lot of gifting and a lot of entertaining and things like that for not much money. And, and that's really what it's all about. And then I look at this the way I look at cooking. People will say, well, Jack, can you give me your recipe for squirrel stew? No. Well, why not? Is it a closely guarded secret? No. No, it's not. I've been making it for so long, I don't really know exactly how I make it. I just do. Uh, I have got my, my own thing going on there. But if I wanted to formulate a recipe for it, I could write it down and, and stick to it. But I'm not using some. It's not my granddaddy's recipe or something, right? It's my recipe. I came up with it. And I do have some things that I have recipes for, specifically sausages and things like that. When you start mixing very specific ingredients into very specific weights, then you got to kind of pay attention to it. But they're my recipes. They all started by following somebody else's recipe, learning from that, extrapolating knowledge and saying, I could do with a bit more sage, or that's a bit sweet, or that's not quite spicy the way that it should be. It should have more 
pepper, or that pepper's okay in there, but it should be a more coarsely cracked pepper in that sausage, things like that, okay? And that's where the fun get, begins. That's where the alchemy begins. That's where you end up producing something that's not just a hazelnut liqueur, it's Bob's hazelnut liqueur. It's not just a cherry brandy, it's Tom's cherry brandy. It's not just, you know, uh, a, a pear liqueur, it's Tammy's pear liqueur. That people look forward to because you can't get it anywhere else. And again, I'm going to tell you that things like vanilla and cinnamon play with many of these things really, really nice. And despite what the alcohol companies have snapped onto to selling alcohol to fraternities and sororities and places where people get shit face drunk out of their ass shooting shots, cinnamon does not have to taste like you know, a blast of cinnamon to be useful in alcohol, using something like a true cinnamon, a Ceylon cinnamon, small amounts of it, uh, little bits of it, hints in the background where you just catch it, or ginger, or things like that. Many of these recipes can be enhanced with that. You take that pear recipe and you throw a little ginger, and ginger and pear just go really nice together. And when you start doing that, don't worry about, well, what would Jack do? Well, what would you do? What do you like? That's where this stuff starts to get fun. I'll give you another little tip here at the end. I don't have my outline, so uh, those are just peruse the blog. We'll, we'll miss out on this one. Um, bottles. So to me, when I bottle my mead, I don't care what kind of bottle it's in. And I've done a lot of these infusions. I put them in mason jars because it's easy and it works. The problem is a full mason jar doesn't pour really nice, especially if it's like a small little snifter or something. So old liquor bottles are great for this. And... One of the things you can do if you know a bartender, a lot of times this is the policy that bars have with their bottles. When the bottle's empty, the bartender takes like a knife or uh, a church key or something and scratches into the label and throws it into the trash and it breaks or it does not. Some bars have a policy that those bottles absolutely have to go to disposal and they can't go anywhere else. Other bars have a policy of it's an empty bottle. I don't give a shit. You can give them away. So if you talk to a few people you know that maybe work at restaurants or bars, you may be able to come up with you know a source of bottles. And if they happen to sell a lot of something that has a bottle that you kind of like the way it looks, you may be able to say, can you just save these for me if they have a high turn? And, and you can have nice bottles to put your liqueurs in because it's, you know, it's high-proof alcohol. It's not like there's anything bad in there and nothing lives in there. So that's, that's a little tip that I have for you there at the end. Anyway, if you like this show, if you think you got 20 cents worth of value out of today's show, and damn, I mean, with what I gave you today, I hope the hell you do feel like you got 20 cents worth of value. Consider joining the Member Support Brigade. To do that, you should go to the survivalpodcast.com, click on Members to learn more, and you can sign up there. Military, law enforcement, Peace Corps, and first responders, all of you guys qualify for a discount. Just instead of going there and signing up, email me before, not after you join. Put TSPC service discount in the subject line. Tell me about your service in one or two sentences, and I will get back to you with a discount code that you can use when you sign up to save more money on an already great product. And remember, guys, I am always trying to increase the value of the MSB. I've got over 60 companies that give you discounts you can't get anywhere else. And these aren't discounts that come and go. These are discounts that are there all the time, 24-7, 365. Uh, occasionally a code expires or something, and I always work as fast as I can to fix it for you. And you know what I did yesterday for you guys? Yesterday I put 20 new videos in the MSB, and they average over an hour apiece. There are the 20 videos from 20 presentations done at our fall event here for the 2016 fall event. 
Two by John Pugliano, two by me, two by my buddy David Sigler on aquaponics. That's just getting started. We got vermicomposting in there. We got beekeeping in there. We got all kinds of great stuff for you. And all those videos are from the, from the, the workshop that people paid 500 bucks to come see. And you get all those videos for free as a member. That's the kind of value. And the other thing I want to do again, I want to get Mile High Distilling for you guys as a discounter, so if you're going to buy from them, don't forget that little note. I, I can't tell you guys, when we feature somebody like this, we send them business. And they might notice it, but when they get poked a little bit about it, they really notice it. And, and, and that'll help me help increase the value. So there's a few places I want to target this year, kind of like that. New stuff, there's things that are, like I have people all the time, well, can, you do, can I do a discount in the MSB? Well, let's see, I already have three people that do holsters and, and leather products, so no. Because they were just diluting value then. I want to add new things. I'm always trying to do that. That's my commitment to you. And all I ask is consider being a member. Paying members are what pay the bills around here at the Survival Podcast. And a lot of you guys, your accounts are falling off because of PayPal issues. And I know sometimes it's like, I don't want to take the time to sign back up. Please consider doing so. And if you are an expired member, look for an email coming out later this week. Just say that from me. Anyway, next up, the other way you can support me is by joining the members. Not by the members. Jeez, Jack, what's wrong with you? Did you? I haven't got into the liquor yet, guys. I promise. I'm drinking freaking chamomile tea here. Anyway, um, the other way you can support us is by shopping at tspaz.com. That's T-S-P-A-Z.com. Whenever you go to Amazon, my featured item of the day is the book I mentioned several times, Homemade Liqueurs and Infused Spirits by Andrew Slosh, item of the day. You can check that out at tspaz.com, and since I've already talked all day about that, I won't say more other than it's a great book, and you'll learn a lot from it, and I think you'll really enjoy it. Uh, it goes over the process, not just the recipes. It goes over the different types of alcohol, uh, percentages of alcohol by volume, all that good stuff. But if you don't want anything to do with that, you just want to buy some stuff on Amazon like, I don't know, dog treats. It uh, doesn't matter what it is. You just go to tspass.com, click the link, go to Amazon, and do your shopping. And bazinga, you've supported the show without a dollar out of your pocket that you weren't going to spend anyway. So those are the two ways to support the show. Well, that brings us to the song of the day. And I was thinking, today's song is about drinking. And even though I said not to blow up your liver and I meant it, it is about alcohol and it's about drinking. And what kind of song would you look for if you were talking about drinking? And, of course, that would be a country-western song. And I thought, Jack, you've played a lot of, you know, old country, new country. To me, new country is 20 years old. But, you know, you know who you've never played, you dumbass? You've never played Johnny Cash. The hell's wrong with you? Johnny freaking Cash. Like you've never played a song by Johnny Cash. What is wrong with you? So I was thinking, what can I play by Johnny Cash? You know, Folsom Prison Blues, something like that. You know, I thought, you know, probably the 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 song that, that just brings a smile to my face every time I hear it by Johnny Cash is Boy Named Sue. How do you do? So that's what I'm going to play for you right now, Boy Named Sue. If you've never heard this song, I don't know what rock you've been hiding under or I guess you're under 25, and I think even most people under, you know, under 20 have heard this song sooner or later. But this is the man himself, the man in black, the great Johnny Cash with the great song, A Boy Named Sue. And with that, this has been Jack Spierka with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. 
Well, my daddy left home when I was three, and he didn't leave much to Ma and me. Just this old guitar and an empty bottle of booze. Now, I don't blame him because he run and hid, but the meanest thing that he ever did was before he left, he went and named me Sue. Well, he must have thought that it was quite a joke, and it got a lot of laughs from a lots of folks. Seems I had to fight my whole life through. Some gal would giggle and I'd get red, and some guy'd laugh and I'd bust his head. I'll tell you, life ain't easy for a boy named Sue. Well, I grew up quick and I grew up mean. My fists got hard, my wits got keen. Roamed from town to town to hide my shame. But I made me a vow to the moon and stars. I'd search the honky tonks and bars and kill that man that gave me that awful name. Well, it was Gatlinburg in mid-July and I'd just hit town and my throat was dry. I thought I'd stop and have myself a brew. At an old saloon on a street of mud, there at a table dealing stud, such a dirty mangy dog that named me Sue. Well, I knew that snake was my own sweet dad from a worn-out picture that my mother had, and I knew that scar on his cheek and his evil eye. He was big and bent and gray and old, and I looked at him and my blood ran cold, and I said, "My name is Sue. How do you do? How you gonna die?" Well, I hit him hard right between the eyes, and he went down. But to my surprise, come up with a knife and cut off a piece of my ear. Well, I busted a chair right across his teeth, and we crashed through the wall and into the street, kicking and a gouging in the mud and the blood and the beer. I tell you, I fought tougher men, but I really can't remember when. He kicked like a mule and he bit like a crocodile. I heard him laugh and then I heard him cuss and he went for his gun. I pulled mine first. He stood there looking at me and I saw him smile. He said, "Son, this world is rough and if a man's gonna make it, he's gotta be tough. And I know I wouldn't be there to help you along. So I give you that name and I said goodbye. I knew you'd have to get tough or die. And it's that name that helped to make you strong. Yeah." Now you just fought one hell of a fight, and I know you hate me, and you got the right to kill me now, and I wouldn't blame you if you do. But you ought to thank me before I die for the gravel in your guts and the spit in the eye, 'cause I'm the son of a bitch that named you Sue. Yeah, well what could I do? What could I do? I got all choked up and I threw down my gun, called him a paw and he called me a son, and I come away with a different point of view. And I think about him now and then, every time I try and every time I win. And if I ever have a son, I think I'm gonna name him Bill or George, any damn thing but Sue. I go.